and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for this lesson in our series, Who I Am, where we'll be studying the book of John and where we see that John is writing these things to everyone so they might believe and that in believing they might have life. In this awesome book where John presents the Messiah Jesus as God, we'll see lots of key truths and great application that we can apply to our own life. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. All right, John chapter 6. We're going to read, I'm going to go ahead and read um, verse 41 through like maybe 47, okay? And But we're going to do a lot more now. I'm just not going to read it all right at the start. So that way it'll save time and maybe you can play a game. And then you can clap for me. Okay. Alright, it says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, It is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father sent me, who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. And it is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God, or they shall all be taught of God, excuse me. Everyone who has heard and has learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he uh, who believes has eternal life. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for the state you've given to us. Thank you for all you've blessed us with, God. Um, I just pray that today um, we would worship and glorify you. I pray that as we look at this um, passage of Scripture that we'd understand who you are, uh, that we remember to think eternally and not physically, and that as we go throughout our week, we just renew our minds with that and renew our minds with you and your love for us uh, because that's what we see, God. Um, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so there's this guy that uh, was out to sea, and when he was out at sea, he got in a, in a big shipwreck, okay? And in the shipwreck, he was clinging to like a piece of wood or something like that. Like, you know how in the sh- shipwrecks you always see like they're clinging to a piece of wood. So he was doing that, and this guy, you know, he believed in God and all that, and so he started praying, and he asked God to save his life. He said, God, save me. I'm out here drowning. Um, you know, save me. And so soon thereafter, there was a, another boat that came by, and the, the boat came by, there's some guys in it, and they said, hey, you need some help? Like you're, you're floating on a little piece of wood, do you need some help? And uh, the drowning guy, he said, oh, no thanks. He said, I'm waiting for God to save me. And so they shrugged their shoulders, and they, they moved on, okay? So then the, the guy came to a little, became more like concerned about it, started getting a little worried, kind of wondering where God was at, and another boat comes by. And the boat comes by, and they offered again to bring him into the boat and, and save him. And the guy politely declined. He said, no, I'm, I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God to save me. Don't worry about it. And so they move on as well. And after some time, uh, the man began to lose his faith, and uh, soon thereafter he died. So when he got to heaven, okay, he got a chance to speak with God briefly. And he said, God, why why'd you let me die? Why didn't you answer my prayers? And God said, well, uh, I sent you two boats. And uh, the reason I share that with you is because sometimes we see that 
people are offered help and they don't take it. Okay? And in today's lesson, we're going to see that God is offering help to the entire world. Yet some people don't take it. Some people say that because God is offering help to the entire world, that means he chooses who is saved and who is not saved. But we're going to look at it and we're going to see that there are, I mean, we're actually going to see three roles, briefly three roles, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which is kind of cool. That's not what the entire lesson is, but uh, we're going to see the Father is the authority and he authors salvation. Okay, And by authoring salvation to all, we see this desire for all men to be saved. Okay, Yet some men do not accept, and women, I just say men, but some people don't accept <laughs> that salvation. We'll see briefly, it's, it's just barely in here, but we see that the Spirit is the illuminator who illuminates so that we can see the Son who is the way. So the Father is the author of salvation. The Spirit is the illuminator of that salvation. And the Son is the way of salvation. So, first one we're going to look at is the Father being the author of salvation. We see this in verses 41 through 47. We saw it just briefly last time. And uh, just for a little bit of context, Jesus is speaking to a big crowd. Okay? And he's speaking to a big crowd in the morning or afternoon, probably in the afternoon. We'll see where he's at in just a little bit. But this crowd was a crowd that he had just fed, right? And where did he feed them? In Galilee. What? On the side of Galilee on the mountain. Yeah, he was so it was on it was in Galilee. It was by the Sea of Galilee. It was up on up in the hills, it said. And um, it was actually on the east side. Right? It's east, right? North. Yeah, east side, right? Okay, so then he tells his disciples, hey, Get in that boat down there. Go across the river to the west side. And he dismisses that huge crowd and tells them to go. So we don't know, we don't know if they all had boats. We don't know what, what was going on with them, if they walked. We don't know how. But they go. They leave. And they eventually get to the west side as well. Jesus goes up on a mountain prays. Then he walks on the water. We had that whole thing um, as one of the signs. And now they get back to the west side. The people are looking for them. They can't find them. They finally find them. And last week we saw that Jesus starts this discourse with the people. And he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the great I am statement. I am the bread of life. And anybody who eats of my bread, the bread, myself, and we'll see in just a minute, uh, eats of my flesh. We're going to talk about it. But anybody that eats this bread will live forever. And we talked about how he's, he's offering them eternal life. Okay, And so that brings us to this point. He's still talking to these people. Okay, so this big crowd. And the first thing that we see is after Jesus gets done talking all of last week's stuff, it says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down of, uh, out of heaven. So the first thing we see is this Greek word. Um, Greek word, you could pronounce it, ego, gu, zon, or whatever. How, you know, it's really hard for me to pronounce Greek stuff. But it's the word that means murmur or grumbling. Okay, which means a half-suppressed or muttered complaint. Okay, so basically what's going on in verse 41 when it opens up is uh, this big, huge crowd, they're complaining like under their breath. Okay, have you guys ever, have you guys ever like complained under your breath? Okay, I know I have, especially when I was in the house to my mom because I didn't want her, hear, her to hear me complain. She'd be like, unload the dishwasher and be like, hang on there. And what was that? Nothing. I said I love unloading the dishwasher. Um, it's like a, that's like a suppressed murmur, right? It's a suppressed complaint. It's like you're complaining, but you're too scared to complain out loud. 
right? And that's what these, these people are doing. Of course, they didn't know, or they don't believe that Jesus is God, or most of them don't, right? And so they don't realize that he, he can read their thoughts too, okay? But he understands it. So why are they complaining? Why are, what's the complaint here? Okay, it says uh, in middle verse 41, because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down out of heaven. Now, are they complaining because he said, I'm the bread, or because he came down out of heaven? If you go on verse 42, it explains. It says, they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down out of heaven? Okay, so they're complaining because they say, we know Jesus' dad, and we know Jesus' mom, he can't come down out of heaven. He's not from he's not from God. He's a mere man. Okay, of course they're not understanding that Jesus can be 100% God and 100% man. But they think that and I think like they're saying like he's not God. Like he can't be God. He can't be bread that comes down out of heaven. Okay? And so they're muttering, they're complaining about this. And um, remember they're they're still thinking physically. Okay, they're looking for breakfast or lunch at this point. I don't know what time of day it is, but they're looking for a ne- their next meal right now. Okay, they're not thinking spiritually. And they've been saying, Jesus, give us this bread, give us this bread. And he's like, I am the bread. And they're like, well, give it to us then. We'll eat lunch if you're the bread. And he's like, no, I am the bread. I'm the bread. Like, I'm from the Father. I'm from heaven. I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. And they're like, well, give us the bread and we'll eat lunch. Like, let's eat lunch. And so they're thinking in this physical line of thought. And Jesus trying to get them to think spiritually. Okay, so their complaint is that he, you can't come down out of heaven because you're a man. We know your mom. We know your dad. He understands. Jesus understands this, this complaint. And he answers it. Okay, he answers it in verse 43. That's when he starts his answer. Okay, um, And he says that God draws mankind. So let's look at it. Verse 43 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God, and they shall all be taught of God. Sorry. And it says in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Okay, so this truth is seen throughout Scripture that God draws mankind. Okay? And it makes sense logically, right? When was the first promise of the coming Messiah? Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, right? The first promise of the coming Messiah was before anyone was ever born, right? Technically, because Adam and Eve were like created and they weren't born, right? So it was before anyone was ever born. First Peter um, says that God is not willing that any should perish. Hey, think about 1 John. You guys all know uh, 1 John 4.10, right? In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's right. So we all know that verse, but think about that verse because it's really important. And this is what Jesus is getting at here, and we're going to look at it. But He's saying, or in, in 1 John, John is saying, listen, you're, you're not coming to God because you're coming to God. You're coming to God because before you were even born, God started drawing mankind to you. And it's the story of the Bible, right? The story of the Bible isn't me and Zayden and Jeremiah are working our way to God or even trying to get to God or even seeking God. No one seeks God. Okay? No one seeks God. But then we do seek God because God seeks us, sought, sought us. 
right? God's the one that loves us. God's the one that's pursuing us. It's not us pursuing Him. And this is the point that Jesus is getting at here, is that He is from God, who is the author of this salvation. Okay? God is the author of salvation, not man. Jesus is from God, not man. Okay? They are saying, Jesus, you are from man. Your mom is Mary. Your dad is Joseph. We know where you're from. You are human. You're from humans. And Jesus said, no. Look at me in verse uh, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He's saying the Father. Not, that's, not, that's a capital F. Okay? He's saying the Father. He's not saying Joseph, my Father. He's saying the Father sends me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. God is the author of salvation from the beginning of time, not man. And Jesus is from God. Okay? This is the point that Jesus is getting across. So, with that in mind, okay, who does God draw? Okay, who does God draw? This is an important question. Uh, look at verse 45, and then we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. Because drawing, you guys know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about drawing, right? I'm talking about like art? No, I'm talking about drawing like you're drawing them in, right? You're bringing them to yourself, right? Which fits with the entire Bible, right? Because the entire Bible... The story of it is God bringing sinful man back to himself using his son. That is God drawing. Okay, that's not us coming to him. Okay, and so let's look at verse 45. It says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Okay, this, this fits really good um, with it all because it's saying that God draws everybody. And Jesus is actually saying that the Old Testament even says that God has drawn everybody because... It says, look at it, it says, and they shall all be taught of God. And then it says, everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. Saying everybody who, who hears that, that teaching of God, and then learns from it. I mean, and it's basically saying whoever believes, right? Because the, the, what they're learning is that they're sinners, they need a Savior, and Jesus is a Messiah. Right? Jesus is a Savior. And so they're learning that, and they're coming to God um, from that. And so... I have a couple quotes that I want to share with you just because I think they're good. Uh, this one, uh, this one's a good quote. It's from Bob Wilkin. The next one's from Sean Lazar, which is, I think, really good. But let's look at this one first. It says, When Jesus says, And they shall be taught by God, he may be referring to Isaiah 54, 13, or Jeremiah 31, 34, or no Old Testament verse in particular. He's saying he could be just quoting uh, the idea of Old Testament uh, in this particular passage. So it could be one of those. It could be none of those. It could just be an Old Testament uh, thought from the prophets. Uh, his point is that the Old Testament taught drawing as well. Okay, again, not teaching art, but teaching that God draws all mankind. This verse affirms the universal drawing. Okay, that means that God's drawing everyone, and shall uh, that is taught that uh, all shall be taught by God. Those who hear and have learned from the Father come to faith in Jesus. God's drawing does not eliminate human responsibility. So he's saying God draws everybody, but humans still have a, a, um, um, a responsibility. And it's just like that first illustration with the guy in the boat, right? Okay, God sent him two boats to save him, but he didn't get in the boat. Okay, It's not like God didn't save him. God provided two opportunities, yet he didn't take it. Okay, I love this quote. Uh, this is Sean Lazar, and this is in that book, um, Chosen to Serve. Okay? Um, I really like it because he's, Lazar's just really good at explaining things. Okay? It says, so while it is true that no one can come 
to Jesus without the Father's drawing, it is also true that all men are drawn. No exceptions. In other words, Jesus is teaching that God is the one who always takes the initiative in salvation. Okay? You might have thought that God was silently waiting for you to find him out of your own accord. But the truth is that God is drawing you, or was drawing you, long before it ever occurred to you to even start looking. And I love this quote, because I think this encompasses what Jesus is teaching here. God is the one that is drawing, and, and it fits so well, because God is the one that authored the salvation and started drawing people from Genesis 3.15 on. Okay, He's the one that's desiring us to be saved. He's the one that's pulling us to be saved. That doesn't mean we can't reject it, right? But He is the one that's pulling us to be saved. And if you think about it, again, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but in general, okay, we're, we're going to talk about two different groups here in a second, uh, but in general, what did the Jewish people, what was their religion? It was man trying to get to God. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? More so the Pharisees, because the Sadducees were kind of liberal. They didn't really believe in anything. But the Pharisees, they believed in eternal life. But they believed that you got there by fulfilling the law yourself, by getting to God. And so Jesus' point here is that you, you're, that's not going to work. You can't get to God. I am from God. Okay? I am from God. I'm not from men. Okay? And God's the one that offered, uh, authored this salvation. He's the one that's drawing you. It's not you trying to get to God. It's not me as a human trying to draw you to God. It's all God, and I am from God. Okay? And then it goes on, and uh, Jesus, in the end of verse 45, says, Everybody who heard and learned. Okay? That's pretty straightforward, I think. Okay? Because God's drawing everyone. That doesn't mean everybody learns from that. And uh, those who do learn are those who believe, which we see in verse 47. Um, in just a second, we'll look at that. But we'll see that in verse 47 when he kind of sums it up. So the drawing of God shows many things. But one thing is that God is the author of salvation. It's not physical or human. It's not a physical or human thing. Okay, And because it's not a physical or human thing, Jesus is rebutting, I think that's the right word, these people who are saying, we want physical bread, and you're from a physical parent, and he's like, no, this is spiritual. This is from God. We're not talking physical, guys. I fed you physical food to show you that I am a spiritual, that you need spiritual life. He's saying, I'm, essentially, I, I fed you this physical food to show you that there's a spiritual need. Okay? And that's, that's his, I mean, his focus, really, I think, is this is from God. It's not from man. I've said that a hundred times already, but I, that is the focus that Jesus is saying. So he goes on in verse 46. And he states again that he is from God. Because remember, they think he's from Mary and Joseph. Okay, look at verse 46. He says, Not that anyone has seen the Father. He says, Nobody's seen the Father except the one who is from God. Well, who did he just say sent him? Who did he just say came down out of heaven? Himself. So he is the one who is from God. He has seen God. And he is God. Okay, and so this is a pretty strong claim again that he is divine. Um, and it says, he has seen the Father. I mean, when he says he, he's talking in third person, but he's talking about himself. So he has seen the Father. And then look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I love it because he sums it all up right there, right? He's, he's talking, and, and it may seem like you're reading this, or you're standing there, and it may seem kind of confusing, like God's drawing, like 
She's quoting Old Testament. What's going on here? And he's like, okay, listen. He who believes has eternal life. That's it. Okay, even though God is drawing and you can't do it on your own and all this, God made it really simple. Okay, all you do is believe and you have eternal life. Okay, you believe in the bread of life, which is what he goes on to say. Okay, before we go on to the next point, though, God desires, he's the author, and he desires all men to uh, be saved, and he's provided that way for all men to be saved. And that way is who? It's Jesus, his son, which is what we're going to look at. This is supposed to be verses 48 through 50, but the son is the way of salvation. So God the Father is the author of salvation. The son is the way of salvation. So we're going to go ahead and read um, all 10 of these verses real quick, then we'll go back and kind of start um, from 48. Say, 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh, or sorry, eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink of his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which has come down out of heaven. Not as your fathers ate it and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, so there's a lot in there, right? Um, a lot of stuff in there. The whole point of it is that he is the way. Jesus is the, the bread. Okay, He's the way of salvation. He's the life. Okay, he starts this, set, this section with, can anybody guess what the Greek thing that he starts it with is in verse 48? It's ego me. He starts out with the emphasis again, going back to verse 35 when he says, I am the bread of life. He says, ego me. I, I am. Emphasizing that he is the one. Okay, which makes sense because he just said, God is the author of salvation and you have to believe, anyone who does believe has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And he emphasizes it's me. Okay? Again, remember, these guys are thinking, this is a guy that's, that's from Mary and Joseph. Okay? So why would he not emphasize himself as that eternal bread? Okay? He's emphasizing himself because they're not getting this. They're thinking physical still. So he says, Ego in me, I am the bread of life. Um, and then he says in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna from the wilderness, and they died. Okay? This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for life of the for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, he goes back to the manna. You remember when he talked about this, um, you know, a week ago for us. But for him, it's all in the flow, right? He just talked about manna. The the people said, "Hey, Moses, you know, he gave us manna in the wilderness. Why aren't you going to give us? If you're really that great, can you give us more than than Moses did?" He said. Right here in verse 49, well, your, your fathers, that manna that you guys talked about, your fathers ate that manna, and did that make them live forever? You know, and they're thinking physically. So did it make them live physically forever? Because the physical bread didn't make them live physically forever. Right? 
But now, he, and then he changes the spirit. He says, I, this bread which comes down out of heaven is the one you eat of it and you don't die. So he's saying, my bread that I give is better than the manna from heaven. Because that manna, you ate it and you died. This manna, you, bread, you eat it and you don't die. Because it's spiritual and it's eternal. Okay, so again, he's emphasizing that he is the bread of life and his, his bread himself, which we'll see in a second, he calls his flesh. He, if you eat of that, it's eternal. You never die. He's emphasizing he is the one that brings life. He's the life giver, and we all know that, but it's really important. Okay, and so he goes on to explain in verse 50, or we already read that, he comes down out of heaven. And then I like 51 because it says, I am the living bread that come down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then look at the end of this verse. It says, And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, and you know, we always talk about like first John two two's propitiation for the entire world and things like that. And um, some people say, you know, Jesus didn't die for everybody. He didn't give his life for everybody, or, or you know, the, the eternal life isn't for everybody. Okay, right here Jesus says that he gave um, or he's the bread which he gave for the life of the world. Okay? That's that's everybody. Okay, that's not the physical world, that's everybody. Um, and it's his flesh. Okay, now when he ends it, he says, flesh, right? Okay, you have to eat of my flesh. And he changes it a little bit here, and these guys get confused. Okay, why, um, why, did he, why are these people confused when he says flesh? Look at verse 52. It says, then the Jews began to argue with one another. Okay, so first off, they were grumbling or murmuring, right? Which is like a suppressed complaint. Now what are they doing? Okay, that's out loud. That's an out loud argument. Okay, so now they're getting bold enough because they think what Jesus is saying is ridiculous. Okay, and they're bold enough to say, that, that's ridiculous. You're saying that we have to be a cannibal? We have to be a cannibal to get eternal life? We have to eat you? That doesn't even make sense, right? Because why? Because they're thinking physically. They're thinking physically, and this whole time Jesus is trying to get them to, to see spiritually, and they're not. Okay? So they, they argue, okay, and they say, we're not going to be cannibals. Okay, we're not going to be cannibals. Um, to eat you. How is that possible? So Jesus answered him in verse 53. Look at it. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh, or sorry, I always say my flesh, eat of the flesh of the Son of Man. Okay, so he uses the Son of Man right there, that title from Daniel. Okay, and uh, so, and kind of like right there, he's kind of like saying, I think, like, okay, you don't believe I'm the Son of Man, but you have to eat of the Son of Man. You have to eat of his flesh. Okay, but he's but he is the son of man. So you have to eat the son of man's flesh and drink his blood, uh, and you have unless you do that, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. My flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So he says, listen, guys, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Okay, now if you're in thinking physically. And somebody tells you, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What are you going to think about that person? Yeah, he's crazy. This guy's crazy. Like, what is he going to do? Chop off his arm and let us all take a bite? Like, yeah, it's gross. But that, that's what they're thinking. And so you're going to see in a second, they think he's crazy and they're going to leave. Okay, because they're not thinking spiritually, they're thinking physically. And Jesus is trying to get this point across that this is, this is, this is spiritual not physical, okay? Uh, he uses his title, Son of Man. He says, you got to eat my flesh. 
And he says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Okay, and I think what he's saying there is it's spiritual food and it's spiritual drink. Okay, manna that you guys got in the wilderness or your fathers got in the wilderness, that was physical bread. But what's real bread? What's real life? Okay, this is physical life. But what's real life? It's eternal life, right? Eternal life is real life. And so he's saying this is what's true. This is what's real. What's real life? What's true life? That's, that is the life that comes from my flesh and my blood. Which he does end up offering his flesh and his blood, right? And we know that partaking in that flesh and blood is what? He said it in verse 47. Yes, the one who believes in me. Okay? It says, truly, truly, in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. And then if you go down here, okay, he's not contradicting himself. Okay, he's not contradicting himself. He's saying the same thing. He's just using a metaphor. Look at verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So we know the eating and the drinking of his flesh and blood is believing. Okay, so whoever believes has eternal life. You've got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, which he offers up on the cross. Okay, now verse 56. This is interesting. Okay, and you guys can go back and study this on your own if you want to, but he uses a new word. It's the word abide or remain. Okay? We're going to talk about it a little bit, but look at verse 56. He says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, the reason I say this is interesting is because that word abide, a lot of people will say <coughs> that whenever you see John use the word believe, he's talking about eternal life. Whenever you see him use the word abide, he's talking about fellowship, which in general cases can be very true. We're going to look at it in a second, okay? Uh, this is the Greek word. It means abide, remain, or reside. It's minnow. Um, this is the, the actual word that's used in this verse. It's mini, but it's minnow is the, like the word without the, you know, the indie on it or whatever. So minnow is the word, okay? And the word does mean abide, remain, or reside, okay? It, this word is used um, in John 15 and in 1 John a lot to signify fellowship. So that's why people say, Hey, if you see this word, automatically it's talking about fellowship. But this word is used 40 times in John. Okay, the word minnow is used 40 times in John. Only the times in John 15 and right here is it talking about re re uh, remaining or abiding in Christ. Most of the time, this word is talking about physical. Okay, like all the words. So it would be like, and he remained there for two days. Okay, that's not talking about abiding in Christ, right? It's talking about a physical thing. Okay, so he remained there for two days, or he remained in that region, or that kind of thing. But in John 15, the word minnow is used to talk about a fellowship aspect. And in 1 John, it's a theme throughout, for, minnow is a theme throughout 1 John, talking about abiding in Christ, talking about fellowship. Okay? With all that being said, okay, verse 56, I believe. And it's the only other passage in John that uses it as far as abiding in Christ. I believe that um, this is not talking about fellowship. Okay? So the question is, does this word, can you just say blanket statement, anytime you see the word minnow or remain or abide, does that automatically make it a sanctification passage? Okay? And I would say no. And the thing that we can learn from this, okay, the reason I bring this up is because we need to study the Bible for ourselves. And you can't just take you can't just take words or something people have said about words. I mean, it is true that the, the word minnow 
almost always means fellowship. Okay? But if you take that and you don't study this passage and you just read it, you're going to say, oh, that, that he switches to fellowship right here in the middle and then switches back to uh, um, eternal life in just a second. Okay? I do not think that you can just take a word and blanket statement and say it always, always, always is this. You have to look at context and you have to study the passage itself. Okay, so that's something that we can learn about it. Okay, so what is the context here? Okay, what has the context been this whole time? What has Jesus been trying to tell them? Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. Please believe in me. I am from God. I am not from man. My message is from God. It is not from man. I am not physical. I'm talking about spiritual. Please believe in me. That is what he's pleading. And so when he says, he who eats my uh, flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense um, for him to say, just like right in the middle, uh, oh, you know, stay in fellowship with me. Okay, now it could have some fellowship ideas and aspects. We can look at that. But as Bob Wilkins says, and I, I agree with him, I think that this abide is talking about positional security. Remember last week there was a big theme that God keeps us secure right? He said, never in no way are you ever going to die. And he said that three times last week. Well, in the same day in this passage, but last week for us, right? So there is a theme of uh, positional security. I think that that's what this is talking about, okay? Positionally, you will, and I think a great translation for this would be remain, okay? Um, You will remain in me, meaning that you're never going to be cast out, which is what he just said. Okay, so um, some translations do translate to remain. I mean, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I would translate this one remain and those in John 15 abide. Okay, just maybe to make the distinction of the context here, but either way, I think remain is a really good one because it's saying, hey, you are not going to be, ever be cast out. You're going to remain in me, uh, which is the theme that he's just been picking up on. Okay, 57 and 58. Okay, 57 and 58, let's look at it. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the Father's ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Again, he's, it's like a summary right here at the end. you got to eat of me, and you're going to live, and you're going to live forever. Okay, and we know what that eating is. It's believing in Jesus for eternal life. Now, here's the deal. God the Father is the author. The Son is the way. And we have hints of, in this next uh, passage, that the Spirit is the illuminator, which we know from other places in Scripture. He's the one that's convicting the world. Okay, We're going to see two different sets of disciples. Some think physical. Okay, That's the first one we're going to look at. Some think physical. Okay, look at verses 59 through 66 with me. It says, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And why is this a difficult statement? Why is this a hard statement to listen to? You have to have the right mindset. You have to have the right mindset. They're thinking physical. They're not thinking spiritual. And so obviously it's going to be a hard thing to think about, comprehend, or even get on board with when somebody says, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to live. They're like, no, I mean, I can eat normal bread and live. Okay, you're crazy. Okay, so this is a hard thing. They said, this is difficult. Look at verse 61. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? 
What then if you see the Son of Man ascending where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's saying these are spiritual things. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. And He was saying, For this reason I have said to you, no one can come to Me unless it has been granted from the Father. Alright, so going back up to verse 59, we finally see where He's at. He's in the synagogue at Capernaum, okay, which is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. I should have brought up a map, but I, I didn't think about it. But you guys remember the map, the little Sea of Galilee on the east side. On the east side, there's the hills over here. There's like uh, all these little towns like Capernaum. Canaan's kind of off a little further away, but it's right over here. Okay, so we finally figure out that he's actually in Capernaum. He's at a synagogue and he's teaching. He came from the wilderness the night before. And think about this. There are probably more people at the synagogue that, than maybe ever have been there. Okay, because how many people did he feed over there? At least 5,000, right? 5,000 men. Right. If there, if there were women and children there, it would have been a lot, right? A lot more than 5,000, but there were at least 5,000. Okay, now those people try and find him. We don't know if it's 100% of them, but I assume a, a big portion of those people try and find him for their next meal. They find him in Capernaum at a synagogue. So there, there are a lot of people, okay? And there are a lot of people following. Jesus is very popular right now. There are a lot of people following him. He fed people. He's been doing miracles. There's this big group around him, right? Um, and the disciples, they say, this is too hard. So the first thing I want to look at is the word disciple. Okay, the word disciple. Metanel, uh, or sorry, no, no, I just said the wrong Greek word, sorry. Uh, man theon, okay, or theo, is to learn, okay? That's the, the, the root word, okay, of disciple. Okay, disciple is, goes back to the word to learn. Those who are learning. Okay, it can be kind of like those who were in that day following the <coughs> rabbi. Uh, Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher. And so those who are following him, those who are learning um, Christ, okay, or learning from Christ in any way, shape, or form. So there are many disciples here, not just 12. Okay, that's the thing you need to remember. We're going to see a distinction between several disciples because he is calling a big group of these people disciples or followers. In a minute, he's going to specifically talk to the 12, and it'll, and it'll define it by saying the 12. Okay, so this is a big group of disciples, and he says, um, knowing that they're grumbling, okay, he says at the end of verse um, 30, or sorry, 61, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Okay, ascending where, so he's saying, okay, you, you guys think that this is hard, what if you, you, and I'm just talking about spiritual things. What if you see something spiritual? You're saying, I'm just talking about physical, uh, spiritual, spiritual things. What if you see something spiritual? And will people see him? Do people see him ascend into heaven? Yes. Eventually? Yeah, they do, right? What did he tell Nathan at the very beginning of this book? He said, you're going to see angels ascending. And they, we don't know when that happened, right? He said, Nathan, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see angels descending and ascending into heaven. You're going to see spiritual things happen. And right here he says, what if you see something spiritual? What are you going to do then? You can't, you're not even understanding the spiritual words. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not 
believe. Okay, so goes through, says this is from the Spirit. Remember that it is the Spirit who convicts the world. Uh, it's the Spirit that is the illuminator. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but the Spirit, or the words that Jesus has spoken right here, he tells them point blank. I am not talking physically. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's saying, I'm not saying you physically have to eat and drink blood and eat, eat skin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking spiritually. So how are you going to react when something spiritual happens, when you see something spiritual? Okay, Because you guys are just thinking uh, physically. And look at verse 64. It's interesting. But there's some of you who do not believe. Okay, look back at verse 61. But Jesus, conscious of his disciples grumbling, said to them, he says all this, and then he ends it with, but some of you do not believe. So this is really interesting. Because when you think disciple, you automatically think believer. Because of our definition of disciple, and because of shui thing. And we need to be disciples, and most of the time a disciple is a believer. But if you take the, this Greek word and you say, a disciple is one who is following Jesus or learning from Jesus as a teacher. doesn't necessarily mean that they're believers. Okay, Think about Judas. And we're going to talk about him in a second. And Judas wasn't a believer. Was he a disciple? In that sense of learning from Christ, yeah, he was. Right, He was. And so there are these people who are following Jesus. They're learning from Jesus. Um, and, and they're probably, I mean, they're learning things probably. I'm assuming some things. Right? Um, we don't know what they're learning. But learning some stuff, but they didn't believe in him as Messiah. Okay, they didn't believe in him as Messiah. They, it's like they learned. They learned that he could provide them bread and fish, and they were, they followed him all the way around the lake. Yeah, and they they learned that he could heal physically. Right, a lot of them did because they saw it. Okay, they learned that he was he had power over some sort of physical objects. Right, they learned. So they learned. They did learn. Yeah, they learned physical things. Right, um, but they weren't learning the spiritual. They weren't understanding the spiritual, and they weren't believing. Okay, and again, this isn't talking about all. It says some. Okay, we're going to see some others that do. Um, and so some didn't believe. So that's why Jesus, I think, is pleading that the author of salvation is God, and he's pleading for them to remember spiritual things. Okay, he's pleading. He's saying, guys, the message that I'm teaching that you aren't getting and you aren't believing is not from me. It is from God. And these signs that I'm doing, they're supposed to point you to God's salvation. Right? And so I think that's why he's pleading for him. Um, those fathers who didn't believe uh, and they didn't like his teaching, they leave. Okay? Um, look at it in verse 64. Uh, we'll go 64 all the way through 66. It says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. So He was saying, For this reason I have said to you, no one can come to Me unless it's been granted by the Father. And again, I think this is Him saying, Listen, I know you're not thinking spiritually. I know you don't believe in Me. So I'm pleading with you saying that I, it's not from Me, it's from God, which He is God. But He's trying to get them to understand it's not from man, it's from God. This message and all of this. Okay, And so they didn't have an eternal perspective. And so look at verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Okay, so a bunch of people left. Um, we don't know. It doesn't tell us if how many of them left. It doesn't tell us if believers and unbelievers left. I kind of think that some believers left and some unbelievers left. 
Okay, we know that some people didn't believe, but uh, some people did. Okay, a lot of people did. And so maybe even some of the believers who weren't thinking eternally and weren't really thinking spiritually that much, maybe some of them <coughs> left too. I don't know. Um, could be, but, but some of these people, or many of these people left. Okay, these people that were falling, were falling him no more. And so it's a reminder to us to have, an, I think, have an eternal perspective. Okay, because even as a believer, even as a believer, we can get into this mindset of not having thinking eternally, right? Um, and we can get into this mindset of thinking like only on the physical, day to day, what's going on in my life right now, and not thinking eternally about what God is, can. Um, what, is, what he is doing, what he can do, what he will do, not thinking eternally about, like, how is this decision? We, we always think about, not always, a lot of times we think about how will this decision affect me right now? And sometimes we think about how will this defi- decision affect me in the future? And I think rarely do we think how will this decision affect me eternally? And, you know, I know that in the context of this, he's talking about, um, eternal life, and I know most of you have believed in Him for eternal life, believe in Jesus for eternal life, but I think this can carry over a little bit to just say we should not be thinking only physically, right? And we should be thinking eternally and spiritually, okay? And some disciples did, okay? Some disciples did. Let's look at it in verse 67 through the end. Peter, uh, he, he always does so good or so bad, right? And he's so good here. And uh, it gives me goosebumps to think about like this scenario and like this... Uh, this exchange. So Jesus says to the twelve. Now he, he turns his attention to twelve, which makes me think that huge numbers of those five thousand left. Like it makes me think that maybe almost all of them did. All right? Because now he looks at twelve guys. Okay, he looks at twelve guys and he says, uh, "You do not want to go away, also, do you?" And and look at this. Look at this reply by Peter. Simon Peter answered him, said, "Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words." A physical life that can give us bread for every day and can feed us. No. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, listen, Jesus, I know that they're thinking physical, but I know and we know that you're you're talking spiritual. We know you have the words of eternal life. We know you're the Holy One and you're from God. We know that you're the bread of heaven that comes... Uh, the bread of God, uh, the bread of life, sorry, that comes out of heaven. We know that you are the life giver. We know that no one can be saved except through you. That, I mean, that's what he's saying. It's so, it's so huge here. Okay? Um, and Jesus answered and said to them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Uh, for he was one of the twelve and was going to betray him. Uh, so Peter's awesome here. He makes a confident statement uh, that he does understand spiritual. And, and this makes me think of this verse. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, it says that spirit, you know, the natural man, which is who we all are, can't understand things of the Spirit. Okay, so my question then is this. If they don't understand... How can they be saved? If nobody ever understands God, how can they be saved? Okay? And I think this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, right? And this is where God the Father comes in. And this is where this whole message comes in. That God is the author of salvation. He provides salvation because He's the author. 
Okay, the Spirit illuminates us so we can understand, and the Son provides a way through His blood. So salvation is all up to God, but it's also all up to us. Because he, without Him, there's no way. There's no illumination. There's no salvation. None of it's there without Him, right? Without God, can we ever be saved? Absolutely not. It's because of His love that we're even providing an opportunity or a way to be saved. Right? And so, the way I think of this, okay, I think of it like I just fell down in this deep well, right? And I'm in this deep well, and I, if it's like this well right here, even a good rock climber can't get out of it, right? You can't get out on your own. Like, there's no way that you can get out of the well. It's too deep, it's too high, it's too dark, you can't get out. Okay? But, God throws down a rope. Okay? And because He's drawing all men, He throws down a rope to everybody. Okay? And that rope is hanging there. And then, for those who believe, it's like they grab the rope and say, Thank God, I couldn't have done it without you. Could I have gotten out of the well without God? No, because there's no rope without God. Right? And then those who don't believe, I kind of picture them as this guy trying to scramble up without the rope, saying, I don't need the rope. The rope is still there, but I don't need it. I can scramble out on my own. And they just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And they're never going to make it. Even though the rope is right there. Okay? And that's how I look at this. I look at this as like, God, without Him, without God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we have no, no chance. No chance to get to God. Okay? Because He's the author, He's the illuminator, and He's the way. So there's no way we're getting to Him. Okay? But we still have to grab on the rope and let Him pull us up, right? We still have to grab on the rope. A lot of people think, um, you know, that a lot of people think that, first off, a lot of people think they can climb up. A lot of people think they can climb up the well, but they can't. Um, and then a lot of other people think that God only throws the rope down certain wells. Okay? And they think that because they get the Scripture, the truth of the Scripture mixed up. And they say things like, because God, ought, because God has to draw everybody, because God, because the God's the one that has to throw down the rope, like who wouldn't take it if they got thrown a rope? So God obviously is either throwing the rope to some and not others because who in the world wouldn't take the rope? Well, in my pride, like I don't even want to take the rope. Right? Because what happens if I get up to the top of the well by myself? Good job, you. Yeah, that's right. I'm a stinking good rock climber. Right? I got to the top of that well all by myself. And so in my own pride, like me, Hunter Davis, in my own pride, I don't even want to take the rope. Right? But then I realize I can't make it to the top, and I do take the rope. Um, and so, anyway, all that to say, God draws all people to himself by throwing the rope down the well. Okay? But you got to grab onto it. And some people sadly don't. Um, he says in verse uh, I guess 60 sorry, se- yeah, 70, 70. It says Jesus answered them, "Did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil?" And he meant Judas, the son of Simon, and scared it. For he was one of the twelve and was going to betray him. So, we're almost done. I told you this was a long lesson. We're almost done, but I do want to talk about this for just a second because it's really, it's interesting. Because a lot of times, again, people see the word choose just like the word abide. And as soon as they see the word choose 
And it's even in our culture. I find myself doing it because it's so in our culture. I'll see the word choose, and I'm like, oh, how am I going to get around this election passage? Right? And half the time, it's not even, it's not even like, it's easy, right? And here it is easy too, okay? Because Jesus says, I've chosen you 12. Okay, so what has he chosen the 12 for? To service, to serve him, right? To, to be his 12 followers who go out, right? And one of them's not saved. So this tells us several things. One, that he can choose people who aren't saved to serve him. Can God use people that aren't saved to serve him? Yeah, he can, and he does. He used Pharaoh, right? And he, he uses a ton of people that aren't saved. And so he can choose people to serve him even if they're not saved. Okay, he's not choosing salvation here. Okay, Lazar, in that book, he says, the choosing here in this verse 70, he says, the choosing here includes Judas, who is not eternally secure because he doesn't believe. Okay, so right here he chooses somebody that's not saved to believe, which, again, uh, yeah. Yes, he chooses somebody to see. It's so hard, right? He chooses somebody to serve even though that person doesn't believe. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. And it's so ingrained in our culture that I say he chooses this person even though he doesn't believe, and our minds automatically go to, oh, he chose him for salvation, though, even though he didn't believe. Right? But that's that's just not in the scripture. Okay? He chooses this guy for service, even though he doesn't believe, and he's not eternally secure. Okay, and so this is something, again, this is not a huge like chosen like election passage necessarily in verse 70 and 71, but it's something to know. Something to remember as you look at the Scripture and as you're reading it for yourself. Say, okay, what is the choosing here? Why did he choose? And most of the time, choosing in the Scripture is uh, like he chose that boat to go across the sea. It's just physical. It has nothing to do with spirit. But yet this word chosen or choose is so like mystical. Right for us, and so we just remember, look at it, and say, why? Why is this person chosen? All right, I'm sorry we're still going so long. What's our impact? Even as believers, okay, we I think we can get hyper focused on the physical when we should be focused on the spiritual and the eternal. And so I want us to have a, an eternal perspective, okay? And so I think I have a couple more slides. Yeah, how can we do that? Number one, trust God in trials. Okay, trust God in trials. If you have an eternal perspective in trials, uh, it's going to give you um, an advantage. You're going to be able to have joy and peace. Um, renew your mind with who God is and, and loving Him in those. Um, also, it means looking at sin correctly, which I'm not very good at. Uh, typically, I look at sin and I'm like, well, what are the consequences here on earth? And then I sin because I'm like, well, the consequences are that bad, right? And really, if we look at sin eternally, and just the, the weight of sin, and we do that correctly, I think that, that can be something that we can apply in our life. It also means making choices that are good for later, not good for now. Right? Making choices with eternity in mind. So we need to keep an eternal perspective, unlike these guys did. Peter here, he has an eternal perspective, right? And he knows who, who Christ is. And so we need to have a perspective like Peter, not only in salvation, for sure in salvation, but also in our everyday life. You need to have eternal perspective, I think. All right? Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. 
Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.